And he hasn't let me. Respect and honour your leaders. Amen. Wow. Wow, Thomas. Big respect for Tom there. Thank you. Um, So I want to talk this morning about complacency versus contentment. And we've got a little testimony. There he is. Come on up. Um, Did someone take that microphone? Come and tell us your story. Yeah, Tom. So I'm Shalom. Um, Some of you may know me, some of you may not. Uh, I was in this church before it was a lighthouse. It was back in the day when it was ECF. And um, basically, I'll tell you the story of what happened. So I was a youth leader here for quite a while, and slowly I, I joined the NHS, worked as a nurse, and I slowly slipped into the case of work comes first. So I, I ended up working a lot more, not coming to church, and then I gradually slipped into a ring of going out, socialising with non-Christian friends more often um, outside of work. So I started heading down a quite slippery path down the wrong way. Um, for I then kind of slipped away from church, and for seven years, or nearly eight years, I, I basically headed along a very, very dark path. Um, I got married in that time, had children, two wonderful children, um, but... I still found myself going the wrong way, and yeah, um, I spent a lot of time, because of going out with friends and doing the wrong things, I put my marriage at jeopardy, I put my, my work life, everything on the line really, and it came to one night where my wife confronted me about the issues that had been going on, and I took an overdose. And with the amount I took, I shouldn't be standing here right now. Uh, On that night, all sorts of emotions went through my head and I broke down. Um, My parents took me in um, for a a while and they actually dragged me back to church. While, While this was all going on, they said over the last seven years that they'd been praying for me constantly. Um, So yeah, it... God works miracles, really. I came back to church. I struggled. I still struggled for a while. And God God turned it around. There was one song here at church um, that really broke me down um, by Hillsongs, actually. It was So Will I. And and that changed me that day. That broke me completely. And with the help of Giles and the team here, I got a lot of counselling. I met up with Giles prayer days. And, yeah, everything's changed from then on. I, uh, I now, well, focus on my family, my kids, my life now. God is centre of everything now for me. And, um, yeah, it, it helps me motivate other people now. And I'm only up here because Giles saw a social media post that blew up over Instagram and Facebook, and it got published by a bodybuilding website as well. So that's why I'm here. So, God works miracles. He does. You are a walking miracle. Thank you. It takes courage to stand up here and say, say something like that. And he's, 
He's a real inspiration to me, actually. I read his posts. If you don't follow him on social media, do it. Because he has transformed his life, both physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I think it's just, it is one step at a time. And it began by taking responsibility for his spiritual life, um, which kind of fits into what I'm talking about this morning. Um, I want to open in Genesis chapter 4. Verses 6 and 7, a very familiar passage here. It says, The Lord spoke to Cain and asked him, Why are you so angry? Why do you look so unhappy? If you do things well, I will accept you. But if you do not do them well, sin is ready to attack you. Sin wants you, but you must rule over it. And talk about the difference between being content And I think we all need that contentment in life, but not to the point of complacency. Key to success is to be constantly improving and not become complacent. Being complacent is that attitude that can hinder us from being all that God wants us to be. Maybe we take the easy option. Maybe we're complacent because things are okay, but maybe we do get frustrated at times. Maybe we do complain about our lives. But you know people who love to complain but never actually do something and make that change. The change that perhaps they know they need to change or perhaps they get attention from their complaining. But there's a point in our lives where we know our life isn't all that it should be. And we do know that. But if we have a complacent attitude towards ourselves, we can wonder why things don't improve. In Proverbs 6, he see, warns them, he says, go to the ant, learn from the ant how he works and how he's diligent. He says, otherwise we can fold our hands, take a little nap and let life drift by, drift by without us realizing. Perhaps we need to get upset enough with our current situation that we can actually do something. See, a complacent individual will never reach the potential. Maybe they feel life is just pointless. Maybe life is too difficult. Maybe they're just going through the motions, doing the minimum, or blaming external things for their own shortcomings. The difference between contentment and complacency is a subtle one. Being content means that we can be happy whether we have things or we don't have things. Or maybe complacency is linked to a lack of gratitude. I love what Tom's message last week. He spoke about how when he does the hoovering and he leaves the hoover out just so his wife knows he's done the hoovering. Not that the clean floor tells the story, you understand. But what he's looking for is gratitude. What he's looking for is appreciation. And I get that. I understand that. That's kind of how we function and how long can we go without any kind of gratitude or appreciation before that complacency kind of sticks in? And you can, you can make it worse. You could say, well, of course you should hoover. You live here. It's your dead skin cells as well, causing all the dust. But that's not showing appreciation. I think we appreciate what each other do, even if it's something that you should expect them to do anyway. You know, the quickest way to discourage a child is to criticize them when they're trying. 
to put them down when they're really trying to do something or trying to give them something that is too difficult or too big of a problem for them. You know, if we punish people when they do things right or we fail to acknowledge their contribution, how long before complacency sets in? So we're doing a little improvement. We're doing a few home improvements at home. I'll tell you this story. So last Saturday, um, you know, our kitchen needs doing. It's, it's overdue. Um, but a new kitchen is, is a lot of money. So that's a big problem that is, okay, that's a little bit further down the road. But what we can do is do a little paint. So we're painting the feature wall in whatever color that is, some blue, gray, something. I don't know what, what it's called. Colors are colors, you know, like blue. Denim is not a color. Sorry, ladies. It's not. It's not on the Windows 16 color scheme. Um, that's okay. It's not for me. Um, so I'm painting that wall. Then I paint the rest of the walls white. And then all the doors are looking really yellow now. Do you ever do that? You think, oh, now I've got to paint that. So Ros comes in and says, oh, you'll never get this done today. And I'm like, oh, yeah? Come on, then. Challenge accepted. Then I realized I'm just being tricked because, you know, this is psychology she's using here because I'm going to work harder now to get it done. But I said, honey, you know how you're always right. I'm not going to get this done today. Uh, I did finish it this week. So I did finish off the, the door that I hadn't done. So it is now done if she's happy with the color. You know, we don't have to repaint it six times. So sometimes things that things can be overwhelming or things can be too difficult. Or, you know, we look at our lives and we go, you know what, I've got so many problems. Where do I even start? I say start with what you can do. Start with a room at a time. You know, and have that win. I, I love to win everything, you know. And that's me. That's competitive. When I go running... I want to win, and winning means I'm faster than I was last week. And even if it's by a few seconds, that's a win. And I can get more competitive with myself. So I can improve myself, even small bits. We know that when we go to the gym, we lift heavier weights, we get stronger. And you do that incrementally. You don't go straight away into the 100 club with Joe. You know, you, you start with 50 or 60, and you work your way up there. Um, we need to ask ourselves, what can I do spiritually to be where I need to be? What can I stop doing to be where I need to be? And sometimes we need to take our spiritual temperature. And how do we do that? We could be as simple as how much of the world or the flesh am I indulging myself in? Where is the source of my entertainment? Where am I going to feel good about myself and maybe that's a source of entertainment maybe that's advice or something that we know is not good for us but we go there what's our prayer life like do we take time to pray do we take time to study and we want to see these big changes alterations in our lives but we're not going to do it by expecting others to change so you've got big problems. So you're overwhelmed with things. What can you do to take those apart, break it down into a small element that you know that you can change? Okay, I want to be a theologian, but actually I don't even open my Bible. I want to study scripture, but where could I start? Could I start with a daily reading? 
Could I join a small group, a home Bible study? You know, you say, well, actually, I haven't got any friends. I haven't got people around me that can help me and support me. And, and I want friends, but I want those relationships, but I'm shy and I'm difficult and I'm awkward. And, you know, what, break that down. Could you smile at somebody? Yeah, I think I could do that. Could you shake their hand after church? Could you have a cup of coffee with them? You know, you can break these things down into manageable things. What could I stop doing that is destructive and I know is not good for me? And what can I start investing in my life? And it may be start with a small. So the thing is, we don't want to be complacent. But maybe our problems are too big or maybe our vision is too small. Maybe we don't have a big enough goal. Our horizon is too low. Maybe we don't have a vision at all. And maybe for good reason, because life has really beaten us up and the problems that we have are so big, so complicated that we can't do anything about them. Maybe a broken relationship. Maybe we, maybe we desire to get married. Maybe we, that's one of our goals. That's one of our aims. But how am I going to get through the current heartache and pain that I'm in? How can I learn to trust people again? You know, and sometimes we have to open these things up and allow God to come in and heal us and make us whole again. Can you imagine if you could get everything that you ever wanted or your life could be exactly how you want it to be? I'm not talking about a private jet. I'm not talking about millions of pounds. I'm talking about things that someone who is responsible would want for themselves. The kind of relationship you want. What kind of relationship do you want with your, with your parents, with your children? What kind of relationship do you want with your intimate partner? What kind of relationship do you want with your work colleagues and your friends? Do you want the kind of friends that would speak into your life and tell you where you're going wrong or encourage you where you're going right? Do you want those kind of things? Do you want a new job, a different career? Do you want things outside work that you can focus on that would be productive, meaningful and purposeful? Could you, what would it look like if you took care of yourself mentally? What would it look like if you took care of yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually? Could I put myself out there to help somebody else? Could I volunteer somewhere? Could I stop limiting my ambitions? Could I realize that even the smallest of faith, placed in the biggest of gods, can move the mountains? What could my life be like in three to five years? Do I have a plan? Do I write it down? You know, a goal is just a dream that you've written it and you've written down. We need this big picture stuff, but we need to break it down into incremental improvements because the truth is we all know that we need work. And the idea of sin or the idea that we are all sinful comes from an archery term meaning you've missed the mark. And that's the thing about sin. It's not one thing. It's not like this thing that you have done is sin. It's your life is not hitting the mark that you know that you're supposed to hit. That's sin. And it places us all in the same boat because we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We're all not what we're supposed to be. You see, that's the one side. And that worldview can get us into a bit of nihilism, depression, and it can get into the point of what's the point because I'm always going to remain a sinner. And the other side is, well, God made us in his image. What does God look like? Well, he kind of looks like us, or we look like him, or however that works, way around that works. 
Um, so we're made in God's image. We are beautiful. He's made us. Joseph preached on this a couple of weeks ago. And it's like, yes, I know I'm made in the image of God, but yes, I know I'm a, a weak a failure and a disappointment to myself and to those around me. And we need to be somewhere in the middle that we not forget that we're human, but we don't also forget that we're made in the image of God, that Christ rose from the dead. It's like we need to be those Saturday people where if you're a Friday person, it's all about the death of Christ. It's all about my sin being nailed to the cross. And Sunday people are all about the resurrection and the new life that God has for us and his wonderful grace and his mercy and all of this. And maybe we're somewhere in between that we never forget, you know, what amazing grace we have. But I was that sinner. I was there. That's no longer me. And I'm walking. I'm a Saturday person walking into Sunday. And that needs to be our focus. Jesus, when he comes, he comes with justice because he's perfection. But he also comes with mercy and loving kindness and forgiveness. He comes with both, doesn't he? And that's kind of where we're at. Where we, The truth is we all have areas that we need to work on. But it's amazing what we can do when we put our minds to it, when we take ownership of our pain. Maybe we need to discover where we've been and what we've been through and what's brought us to the place that we're at. Talk through our pain. Open ourselves up to the possibility of a future and a hope. You know, we did this little exercise at university. Um, and uh, it was writing out our past. And we did a, he did a little snake diagram, and some people did a straight line, but I think life does its twists and turns. And in that, you put the, your timeline. This is when I was born. This then happened to me. I moved house. I did all this. And I'm looking around. Other people are writing so much. And I'm like, headlines, you know, detail. You know, detail, not details, I'm headlines. And then you wrote your epitaph. You wrote what you'd want people to say about you after you die. And I, I thought, jokingly, I thought, you know, I'd put Giles Cornell, he tried. And I thought that was quite amusing, but actually probably true as well. Um, but then I wrote, you know, good father, uh, good husband, good friend. You know, something, something like that. So, you know, you do this exercise so you know where you've been and you know where you are. A sat-nav needs two things, where you are and where you need to go. And I think we need to address the past. If something in the past is causing us pain, we have to talk it through. We have to address it. We have to bring the light of the knowledge of the glory of God within those places. And I wrote down, you know, that um, one of my, early, my earliest memory, you know, was the death of my brother. And I was four years old, and he was tragically killed in a car accident um, on, on his bike. And um, when I started to write that down, I wrote down what, I could remember and how I felt at the time. And one of my earliest memories was uh, at the funeral with my granddad. And my granddad was so upset. And that deep emotion I remember. And, and, and I had to write this down, think about it, talk it through. I asked my mother, um, you know, to tell me more information because as a four-year-old, I mean, what do you know? Um, and it, it's almost I was stuck as a four-year-old in that emotional state. Do, do you get that? And it's like, as a four-year-old, I couldn't really deal with death. It was just, well, you can't, can you? And the truth is, my granddad never went to the funeral. And I thought, this is weird. Why am I hung up on this one memory emotion when actually it, that didn't happen like that? But obviously something. I remember maybe my granddad being upset, you know, and I've pieced something together. Anyway, that's not quite the point. 
But the point is that as a 46-year-old, I am able to look into that and respond to that, revisit that and say, well, I'm not a four-year-old now, okay? And I know he's in heaven. I know he's with Jesus. I know that. And I'm able to look back at it and say, okay, well, that was trauma. And maybe I have been, or part of me has been stuck inside that. But having to open up and say, God, I want you to heal me. I want you to, I want you to walk through this with me and, and deal with it. You know, and, and I think some things, you, you know, you don't, they're always there, but you kind of get better at dealing with things, yeah? Anyway, but maybe the past has been a problem. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe it's the future is a problem because you don't really know what to do with your life and you don't really have a vision and a purpose and a direction and a goal and maybe you feel con- contained. And, and God's saying, come on, open up your horizons. You know, have a vision, and then have the positive motivation to think, what could my life be like if I started aiming in that direction? Or a bit of negative motivation. How bad could my life be like if I don't deal with this? And I know people toying around with addictions and toying around with with substances that can cause addictions and things like that, and yeah, you're playing around with it, and it's manageable. You've got some bad habits, but you know they're not good for you, but you're managing it. But what would life be like if that remains unchecked and I degenerate into that? If I let my bad habits control my life to the point where I know I'm uh, struggling at a crossroads where I can say, if I go down this path, I know my life's heading towards hell, hell on earth. If I go this way... I know my life could be heaven. But some of these bad habits, people don't want to give up. They don't want to admit they have them, and they definitely don't want to give them up because they find that comfort in that. You know, talking to people this week and the addictions around alcohol and messing with those substances, it's dangerous. It's really dangerous. And these addictions will just grab a hold of you. And before you know it, it's taken over. And, that, and, and all you can think about is, hey, when's my next drink? When's my next fix? And you think, oh, Giles, you know, I'm, I'm not like that. You know, I'm just, I'm, I've got it under control. I've managed it. You know, but it's a scary thought. What if this is unmanageable? What, could, what kind of hell could my life be in if I don't make the changes I know I need to make today? You know, reading st- statistics about pornography. Pornography is a hugely addictive thing and it's affecting men and women across our nation. And the depravity of it is treating people as objects of your self-gratification. And someone needs to talk about it because our society is rife with it. And you say, well, Giles, church is not the place to talk about pornography. Well, who's talking about it? Who's talking about Tinder and all those things and, you know, swiping left and what? I don't know, I don't have it, but do you know what I mean? It's like, look at that person. Can that person meet my needs, meet my desires? And you're degrading that person to less than human being. (laughs) I'm sorry, it's true. They are human beings made in the image of God who have God's life within them and you want to treat them as an object. And then we wonder why relationships are broken down. 
you know, you want an intimate relationship. You've got to switch off the pornography. It's going to kill any relationship you have and it's going to stop you having an intimate relationship in the future. I feel quite strongly about this, you know. Because, you know, I've been delivered of this. I have. And maybe that's why I'm stronger about it, but I have. And I know the pain of that. I know what hold that can have over you. And, uh, and if you want to be set free, you, you have to do things. You have to do things to make yourself free. You can move a mountain. You can. And maybe that seems too difficult. Maybe it seems too much. Maybe you don't even want to give it up. But the horrible realization that the mess that I'm in is all my fault. I tell you, that is the, the, one of the hardest pills to swallow. It's because I love to blame everybody else for everything that goes wrong in my life. But when I start taking responsibility for myself, my future, I put away complacency and say, come on, what, how bad could my life get if I let this go out of control and unmanaged? Or how great could my life be if I start to look after myself physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally? And with that awful revelation, there is an awesome revelation that even with that little faith, I can move the mountain. You know, we read of Cain and Abel, and they brought the different offerings, and we don't really know what was unacceptable about Cain. But what we do know, that he had an attitude problem. Maybe it was, that's enough. But he was given a choice. Do what's right, or let sin overtake you and you can rule over it. Can you imagine the difference in Cain's future if he ruled over it? Can we look in the mirror and say to us, what I'm doing is not working. And if I don't do something about it, sin is like that animal ready to pounce. And maybe we have a casual attitude towards evil. You know, Western Christianity, maybe we don't give the devil any kind of room, but he's out there. But he's a defeated foe, and we need to remind him he's a defeated foe. But not that we ignore him, but not that we give him all the responsibility and we, take, and we don't take any for ourselves. I know my time is really gone. Can I tell you two more things? I'm going to anyway. The life of David. There's two examples from the life of David. One is in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. And he'd gone out to fight and he'd come back and everything had gone. And maybe it was his fault, but he was out doing what he was, thought he was supposed to be doing. He was, he was taking action. And I think even if you take action, things can still go wrong. Yeah? But the men in the army, it says, they were threatening to kill David with stones, which greatly upset Dave. Each man was sad and angry because he'd lost everything. His sons, his daughters, his wives, he'd lost everything. But David... And I think that's an important lesson. David strengthened himself in the Lord. I tell you, you can do everything right, yet things can go wrong. But where is your strength coming from? Where's your hope coming from? And the other thing about David, another time he was supposed to be going to war, this is 2 Samuel 11. He was supposed to be at war and he wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. In the spring, when kings normally go to war, David sent out Job and his servants and the Israelites. But David stayed in Jerusalem. 
And one evening he got up from his bed and walked around the roof of his palace. And while walking on the roof, he saw a woman bathing and she was beautiful. You know, in David's complacency, he put himself in a compromising position. And David paid a huge price for that. But Paul the Apostle warns us to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might and not fall for the tricks of the enemy. Or in Ephesians 4, he says, Do not give the devil a way to defeat you through your anger, your lies, and your sin. But choose rather to be filled with the Spirit, he says in Ephesians 5. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. There's a way we can clothe ourselves with the Lord. There's a way that we can put our trust in him. There's a way that we can strengthen ourselves in him. Okay, We need a vision for our future. We need to know what our life could be like if we put it in the hands of the almighty God. And we trust him. And we lay aside all the sin and things that would easily ensnare us and trip us up. We look to Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. It's our faith. How do we do this? We put our trust in him. You know, even our own weaknesses, Christ's strength is made manifest. And where we need help, we come to the throne of God. You know, Hebrews calls it the throne of grace because we find the help where we need it the most. You know, my sermon's not here to kind of beat you up for your humanness and say that, you know, you're just this, you're just that. No, I want to challenge you. But I also want to encourage you. Yes, the cross is there. Yes, the resurrection is there. And we don't forget what Jesus has done for us. We don't forget the fact that we were sinners, but Christ died for us. He's forgiven us, and he's given us a new life. It's almost we need the one foot out, one foot where we know we've been, and one foot where... Endless possibilities that God has for us. I tell you, God's got an amazing journey for you if you just take that step. Come on, you can do it. Am I right or am I right? Am I wrong? You've all listened very quietly to me. Let's just, let's just pray. God, I give it to you. I give my whole life to you. I thank you for testimony of Shalom today and how he put his trust in you and he turned his life around. And my prayer is that, God, you could do this for all of us. That, yeah, we can take responsibility for our actions. Yes, we can close the door to sin. But, yes, we can walk in the new life that you have for us. Help us, Lord. Strengthen us. Give us your grace. Give us your mercy. Don't count the sins of our youth against us, but place us in your loving arms. Give us that new beginning that we need. How your mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness to us. Amen. Amen.